Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Ross is back. Ross, thanks for taking time out of your Friday. Thanks, Dave. I haven't talked to you in a while, so I was getting the draw. I know, but I'm I'm figuring these people are are used to listening to us do these podcasts, so and they're always really cool. So hopefully, this is going to be a good one too. But the subject is a little deep. So how would you, like at a at a quick high level, characterize or describe the topic first? So the topic is how does the investments here really allow you the ability to adapt your governance model in flight? And the only way it can really do that is by creating a funding mechanism that is as adaptable as the governance model. So we'll talk about how we pay for things in an adaptive state. Cool. Okay. Now, before we do that, can you explain to the folks if they haven't listened to our interviews before, could you tell them a little bit about what you do for Leading Agile? And in life. In yes. Sure. So um, come from a software and enterprise architecture background. And now I manage transformations at our client sites here at Leading Agile, um, more on the realm of business aspects of transformation and help uh, tailor and define the end state vision for these transformations and the governance models in which they will get there. So um, a lot about org design, workflow design, and structure, and implementing that design to get to the future state vision of the transformation. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, now, I've been doing a lot of interviews about financial-related topics lately. I've done a couple of them with Justin. Um, we're going to talk about this subject today. Why is this such a big deal when we talk about transformation to talk about investment or tracking the money? or, or like Why does this matter so much? Well, I think like anyone in the business world would agree that the two most important aspects of funding your organization is to gain the revenue at the margin that you're looking for. A lot of the times when we do enterprise transformations, we're talking about large publicly traded or publicly scrutinized organizations, whether it's within government entities or just publicly traded companies. There's a bunch of different stakeholders involved not just in what the products are going to be, but how those products are going to perform in the market to get continued investment into those products life cycles. So when we talk about how we're going to invest in delivering those products, it's really important to think about how we're going to fund those products and um, how to adapt not only our ability to build the products and the workflow and metrics and management to get the products out into the marketplace, but then also how do we adapt our um, funding to market insights once those products are out in the market? Okay. So I want to sort of bang into that from the side and say that if I was to just think about the kind of work that we do at a very basic level, we walk into an organization, let's say it's a traditional organization that funds projects annually. So they have that big budgeting thing that takes place between November and February. They pick their 200 projects of which like four of them will actually get completed. They fund everything for the year. And this year they've also decided they're gonna fund agile transformation on an annual basis. So they're gonna have a couple coaches come in and make the company agile in the next six, eight months. Um, you're talking about something that is very, very different from that. Yes. So I think there's like three aspects of the funding paradigm that are important. I think there's the how much money are we going to spend next year as a company? 
Um, I think there's the how much money are we going to spend on certain projects, programs, products, and then how do we get the most bang for our buck um, in in those projects, programs, and products once we've already started spending the money. So we may look at it as like uh, three levels of abstraction in funding, or we may even look at it and the way I've tried to describe it in the past is like two funding pieces where we have a budget account that we need to fund and we have an execution account that we need to fund. And how would we drive um, our business's ability to adapt to the market through looking at funding in a different way so that we can adaptively change how we execute spending the funds, even if we're in the confines of an annual budget cycle. Okay. And all these things are tied together because the governance and the metrics, I mean, they're obviously going to be affected by how we pour money into these things, how we track the progress of them and how we, how we understand the margins we're making. Right. Yeah. And then also like how, how do we need to, so if we got everything right the first time in a product, then it would just sit out in the market and it would be very low cost to maintain that revenue. But what if we got one aspect, you know, wrong in the product and we start getting market insights, but we assume that the product is going to be fine um, in the first time that we released it with some minor maintenance costs here and there. How do we um, allocate funding that may be appropriated to some other product? that's either net new or had like a bunch of tech debt or something that was identified six, nine months ago. So can I offer, I want to try to see if this example is going to fit or not. One of the things that I've um, had happen walking when I was doing transformation stuff, I'd walk into a client and I'd say, okay, we need money for this, this product we're going to build. And they'd say, well, you know, you've got to do this annual thing and all that. And I'd say, well, I don't really want to do that. I just want some money. And I only want it for like a quarter. And they we don't do that. And I'd get them to show me which fields on the form I have to fill out. Like if there's 20 fields, there's probably four of them that I have to fill out to get money. And I say, I'm going to come back at the end of the quarter and ask for more money. And they tell me we don't do that. We only do it by annually. But every single time I went back and asked for more money, I always got it because the team that I was working with was one of the few in the building that was actually delivering on a consistent basis. So they took it away from somebody else. Um, so there must be some mechanism for that in a company. Yeah, there's always a way to adapt the plan. Um, but when you have to work in the confines of changing something that already exists, okay. you have to then start making trade-off decisions around more than just which product's going to get out, but it could be what organization is getting funded. And now your your internal reaction to a change in how you're spending money actually is a lot more impactful because it may be a change in who is kind of sitting around doing stuff and who is getting a, a layoff package. Um, and so there's like a, a huge consequence to some of the shift of funds that in your paradigm, looking at just getting your stuff done, isn't necessarily considered as a, as a negative outcome to changing the budget because you're hyper-focused in on what I your think. teams are already yeah. doing. Right. And what we, what we tend to gloss over sometimes in a um, agile funding model is that we're not just funding getting the products to the market, but we're actually funding the entire construct of the organization delivering the product, whether it's cutting a vendor and 
um, not getting product X out the door uh, to trade off to get product Z some more bells and whistles. That's not as um, close as, oh my God, the portfolio and product and delivery teams for that whole product are getting um, removed from something go to market because we had to take away their funding. And if we don't get that product to market in this budget cycle, we're not going to make the revenue that we think because our competitors are releasing something and people are already like that and it's not worth investing in anymore. So these sure. like high level investment decisions have much more of a chaotic ripple effect than other types of just kind of shuffling funding around from one feature to another inside of a product team structure. So I want to see if this example works. So I was going to fund um, the deployment of automated testing for this one particular product because that will speed a whole bunch of stuff up. But we had a crisis over here. So we're going to take all that money and shift it into hiring temporary workers to patch this other thing that's, that's broken right now which means we get out of crisis on one side, but that whole improvement plan and everything that happens downstream of that from revenue generation to drops in costs of the call center to whatever we have to do to get our name to be shinier in the public now that our product is going out and it's a little bit twitchy. Um, that's, that's all that ripple effect that you're talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. And even on top of that, like how if we're funding not only the product the organization that's going to maintain it along its life cycle. Um, how do we start to take value-based investment decisions and work some of that tech debt automation optimization stuff into that budget that exists already, which is a slightly different problem that we were coming to, together to solve for. But based on that example, um, may be able to uh, decrease some of the stress in that we know the next release of product X is going to have test automation because test automation is now built in as uh, acceptance criteria to the features that we're building on the next release of that project or product. Okay. So if you walk into an organization that's more traditional, you have a conversation, you get them to the point where they understand like you've got this, you know, pile of money, you're planning on spending it these certain ways, but different stuff's going to happen. And we need a mechanism for deciding how we're going to reallocate those things and also understanding what the impact of that reallocation is. Right. And then most places go in to their annual budgets thinking that um, they're trying to get the price approved. So they're starting to trim things out even before the project starts. Right. So you also can get into your, your life cycle of the, or your software development life cycle and you learn things that maybe you under budgeted for and now you're looking for more money because your initial budgeting was over aggressive. So some of the things that including an investment here in your governance strategy would give you is the ability to um, be more risk uh, aware in your budgeting so that you don't um, you never kind of have a funding issue as much as trying to find money, but you're trying to get to a point where you're over budgeting as much as is tenable so that if something happens that's positive and you don't have to do any work, you can pull some new value driven features into that backlog for that same release and release more marketable functionality with your product as opposed to having to 
underestimate your budget so that you're right in line with what you think your boss is going to sign off on. And then you find something that you have to build that was not planned for that actually costs another uh, product or future features in your product to be delayed. So it's making me wonder if, I mean, as an individual in an organization who wants to get his products approved for funding, I care about my stuff because I need to justify my job and my people, my headcount, my whatever I'm spending this money on. I need that validated. And that's my primary concern because me and my family got to eat and so does my team. But to, to really embrace the idea of an agile organization, everybody coming into that budgeting conversation would have to be thinking on the lines of what is the best thing for the organization and for our customers and not as worried about their own, you know, what's on their own plate at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a, a delicate balance because if you're the product owner for a product, I want your number one passion to be that product because right. that's, what's going to make that particular product the most successful. But um, some of the other pieces of this um, that we don't tend to think about is, um, what other aspects of the company support that product too? Because product owner may be focused on, you know, the specific functionality inside of their product that goes to market. But what about all the underlying uh, aspects of that product to get it there? You know, you mentioned automated testing. There could be infrastructure. There could be um, different types of marketing strategies that may impact or extend or delay life cycle of the product on the market. And we need to be cognizant of all those things as the people funding the product. Now, if we start funding organizations to drive a product to its life cycle, um, then we're, we're kind of committing funding to the product and we're letting the teams around that product dictate the spend in order to meet um, the key result of some objective or the goal of a strategic goal in the organization based on that funding allocation. So we may be funding the teams that are delivering that product, but they may spend the money in different ways to create a more tenable use case for their customers to continue to use the product or use the product more often if you're ad-focused, revenue-based, or whatever that looks like. So that's a big change too. I mean, you're pushing the decision-making down at, to the team level, it sounds like, as opposed to some yeah, executive up top saying, this is what we're spending our money on. Yeah, and, and also having the executive figure out how to budget, and the team of executives at the investments here figure out how to budget in a way that they're funding internal company capabilities to deliver things to the market and not dictating necessarily how to enable those capabilities internally to produce an external set of capabilities to our customer. So the assets in which these teams are going to deliver. So it's very interesting paradigm shift because um, in my experience with multiple large organizations that do annual funding, they're funding the initiative in order to meet a revenue goal or an internal initiative in order to meet a cost reduction goal where if we understood the cost of the people and teams that we have to deliver the products that we have, then we don't need to make uh, large-scale financial trade-offs on independent uh, initiatives, objectives, or goals. It may be we're making trade-off decisions further down into the structure on what will actually accomplish those things. 
Okay. But that, and so I, I guess the thing that, that's got me hung up there is that's going to be a difficult thing to offer some sort of prediction on. Like I could say, well, we roll out this new product based on what we've seen from our, you know, initial research, we're going to make $2 million in the first two weeks. Or we could spend all that money cleaning up technical debt and that's going to help us out in the future. But I have no way of saying how many millions we're going to make from cleaning up the very unsexy technical debt. Um, like how do they, how right, do you compare those things? Yeah. And that's one of the things with business strategic planning coming from a uh, military strategic planning background and moving into strategic planning around business objectives is slightly different because um, certain aspects of military strategy just have to do um, in order to even enable a strategy. And in the business world, there's a lot more corners you can cut around support and staff in order to deliver similar objectives in the marketplace. Now, the question is, is can you actually, depending on your organization, tie a specific revenue target to a single aspect of your product? Because in the typical, you're looking at everything that we do has a value. And that value then does something for the company. I don't believe in practice I've ever necessarily seen that where each task under a user story can be tied back to a dollar that the product makes. It's the collection of all those user stories and the functionality delivered that drive a feature, maybe. But if you're looking at an authentication feature in your app, you're not getting any money for somebody logging in, you're getting money for them putting something in the shopping cart and hitting, you know, check out and right. finalize payment, right? So what level of investment and what level of work is the revenue actually being returned on? Is it the initiative that you're investing in? Is it a single epic? Maybe, but maybe not. Um, is it a single feature? Probably not. Uh, because even with the proceed to checkout and pay for order, you need all the other e-commerce aspects of that site, like the list of items, the prices, the discounts, the shipping, like all that, that aspect to come up with the price. So can you actually tie the revenue target of the entire investment to a specific thing outside of that investment being in the market as a whole? And that's where you start getting into the struggle I see in organizations moving to Agile around funding, because in most places, that whole investment needs to come back before they can get to market. Uh, there's very few places that can release a single feature or a single epic and start returning investment uh, without that investment being made on just those single things. And so our ability to adapt our plan, and when I say plan, I mean financial plan, uh, will only come to us if we're conservative in our cost estimates up front, as opposed to aggressive, because now we can adapt in a more easy way. Um, for instance, if we have a portfolio that has a product team that delivers our, our one product, and we want to increase capacity 
on that product line by creating another product team to deliver another aspect of functionality at the same time. So we're hitting our full investment. There's months of lead time to get that team stood up and staffed if we don't fund the teams first, if we're just funding the products first. Because we would make our budgeting assumption that our one product team and the delivery teams underneath that product team can deliver that product until we realize we want to get that product out faster or we want to get that product out in a more full way quicker. So maybe not the first part of the product, but all the parts of the product faster. Because if we hit the market earlier, we're going to make you know six months extra revenue that we weren't predicting. And we need that revenue to invest in other products next year uh, right now. Then we're three months behind the curve of, of doing that if we're funding in a projectized way over an annual budget cycle. Well, so what if we were just funding, and I think this may be where you're going with it anyway. I mean, we've talked about the system before and funding different parts of the system. We would want to fund by team and then those teams are going to do whatever work we put in front of them um right but 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 we're setting up a structure for the organization as a whole regardless of what they bring into the factory these are the people in the stations where they go and this is how we move through getting work done and then you can pull up with your truck and put whatever on the loading dock that you want and we're going to deal with it exactly and this is where i think some organizations can get to Adaptive governance, which is where Leading Agile calls Basecamp 4, um, in a three-tiered model. But large-scale organizations would need an investment tier to get that done because the level of funding decision rights and the amount of funding that we're talking about is so greater. And we're really talking about funding a set of teams inside of a multi-billion dollar business unit um, to provide that level of adaptive governance, we would need to have to understand that we're going to fund a set amount of teams. Over time, that set amount of teams is going to tell us what our capacity to, to deliver um, against our investments are, and we would plan out our funding accordingly. So we would, while we're doing our budget cycle, understand that we need to start looking for and staffing an additional structure inside of our organization in order to accomplish something more where typically we see we have these people um, and these people cost money and we're going to assign their their cost to a line item in the budget as opposed to, um, like you said, funding the team structure for our desired organizational capacity and giving that team structure the work that needs to be done and allow them to make the architectural and business-driven trade-off decisions to meet those revenue targets based on that funding. Okay. Um, I want to check in on a couple of things really quick, just to make sure if, if folks are listening to this and they're not familiar with how we talk about stuff at Leading Agile, you talked about a three-tier system and then one where we add the investment here. So when you say a three-tier system, what are you referring to? So the three-tiered system at Leading Agile is a portfolio team, a product team or more, and delivery team or more. Okay. And, and that is the way that the teams are structured inside of our system of delivery to deliver epics, features, and stories against the investment made in that team structure. Okay. And so, all right, so that fourth tier is where we bring in the investment part. When you say adaptive governance, how would you define that? So uh, the ability to adapt governance is the ability to expand and collapse the amount of teams based on the 
uh, market segment and problems you're trying to solve in that certain market segment. And it's a way to adapt what your teams are doing. So it removes them from hyper-specific focus in one solution to um, focus on a market segment and or a market in and of itself. And then you can adapt how you apply that team structure underneath the investment tier to solve specific market intent over the investment that you're making. So um, this is where you kind of get into the simplistic view of uh, bring the work to the teams. Don't create the team around the work. Yeah. Um, and, and this is really easy to say when you're dealing with a scrum team working on a single product. But when you're talking about funding an entire enterprise organization, um, it's a lot harder to wrap that your head around how you do that because in the grand scheme of things, even with a, a smaller company, um, a delivery team is either the whole team or the smallest subset of the whole team possible. When you get into a large enterprise organization, there could be, you know, tens, fifties, hundreds of delivery teams inside of that structure that you need to contend with. And when you talk about bringing the work to the teams, um, and in that scrum sense, you're, you're thinking user stories to a delivery team. But when you talk about it in the construct of building an entire system around how you're going to deliver your products, it's a lot harder for folks to rationalize. Uh, mostly because people think of funding as your funding scope in time and you're going to apply the resources you have based on that funding yeah. where the paradigm shift is to bring the work to the teams. You actually have to fund the teams, figure out what the work is for them to do and then provide them the vision of how to execute that work against the investment that you're giving. them. Yeah. I think there's this one other part that I'm kind of stuck on too, is that it, it, switches from, and you kind of said this, but I want to say it in the way it's been banging around in my head though for the past couple of minutes. I've got a bunch of money I'm going to spend on building a thing and we're going to use Agile to build the thing because we want the thing to be built in a way that lets us inspect and adapt and improve as we go. Or I'm going to find a way to take my organization and, and reset it so that it as a system is Agile and can adapt to whatever comes at it. And we're just going to build products and they'll probably be built using Agile. But the main thing is that our organization is able to quickly modify what's happening or how it's happening to deal with changes in the market. Like you brought up, it kind of hit me when you said the thing about spinning up the teams. You know, we have a need over here. Great. We have a way of dealing with that. We have to take them away and put them over here. We can do that too. As opposed to we're all just locked in around all the money we put behind this one thing that we're building. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to phrase it. And I think also when I think about this stuff, um, I have, you know, visceral reactions to it because when we, when we go into these transformations, we're looking at a one to three year horizon of success where we may or may not still be there. Right. But with leading agile, we're going to be there driving towards that success as much as possible, but it typically takes an organization one to three years to get, through their agile transformation. Now, when we look at our three-tiered model, if the third tier, that portfolio tier, is the last step in the organization, and that's the executives, um, you're probably at a point where you're practicing adaptive governance already when your transformation is over because you're close in there. When you look at our larger organizations where there, be, where there may be multiple product portfolios, 
um, in an organization, if you only implement the third tier, you cannot get to adaptive governance because the decision makers who are doing the funding decisioning and spending the, the money on those investments are still working in a projectized way. It's just the projects have a lot more scope, a lot more value, and a lot more of a time horizon with them than what the portfolio product and delivery team structure is working on. So we may be able to see some levels of adaptability in the governance um, from a continuous improvement perspective, but we wouldn't be able to see the adaptability in the governance on um, what those teams are working on in a set period of time because those decisions were made in a different way. They were not made in the agile way um, because the, the folks above those team, those team structures are not working in the agile way. They're letting their teams be agile, but the business is still not agile. So, okay, so let me, let me ask you this then. Transforming a company to Agile is, is not an easy thing to be able to work in an Agile way, but transforming the systems that run an organization to be able to be more adaptive in this way, that's got to be massively more complicated. Yeah, I, my experience is the biggest complication is how do you get the optimization of teams working in Agile without the entire business working in a way that facilitates that team being agile. So if at any point I'm doing any kind of waterfall planning, I have already limited the team that has to deliver the work to fall into a non-agile framework and a non-agile mindset and a non-agile paradigm. So unless my top to bottom of the organization is thinking in a way that they want to get to business agility, then the, the lowest team may be locally optimized to deliver Scrum better than anyone's ever delivered Scrum. But since they don't get funded in that way, you know, a year ago, some point in time will cause a handoff between functions or a handoff between phases or some kind of time box um, over a calendar, not over a system way is going to limit their ability to deliver in an agile format. So okay. when we start talking about how we invest in an agile way, we need to have a, a level of adaptability, not only in how we're going to get to market, how we describe that work to our teams executing to get to market, but also how we fund that work to get to market. And until all of that is made, these much larger organizations are still going to run into the hiccups and the side effects of a waterfall planning uh, mindset. Okay. So let me ask you one last question about this. And this is a little bit kind of maybe off track. I'm not sure, but I'm thinking it might be important for some of the folks that are listening. If I'm talking about a really large organization, some kind of scaling model is going to be in place. Are there scaling models without saying, you know, I like this one, I don't like that one. Are there some that are more suited to this, in your opinion, than others, to this adaptive governance and, and sort of a um, different way of looking at investment? Yeah, I think it, I don't know if there's one business that could be more suitable for it than another. I think it's the expectations you're setting in the market and with your investors or shareholders or whoever we're talking about on, on how you're doing the budgeting now. I think that most people are so used to, I mean, even if you think of like your personal finances, you're looking at it for a month or three months or a year, 
like in a year, I'm going to buy that new car. So I'm going to save my money for a year and I'm going to adjust my budget to do this. I think like people just naturally think on the calendar. Yeah. And so having those open and transparent conversations, not only about how you want to look at budgeting going forward. Yeah. We want to fund this group of teams for a year. And then they're going to say, what are the teams going to do? And I think people scramble to provide some kind of milestone or achievement or something in yeah. that time frame. Um, but when we look at like a life cycle of a product, we just want to see that the product itself is going to return the revenue and the, and the milestones of how it's going to happen may not need to be as clear. Like we don't need to do epics one through four in Q1, five through eight in Q2. Maybe we just want to get some of these problems that we're going to solve for customers done and we're going to do them next year. And we're going to let the system figure out which one needs to happen when, so that we get this, um, get this product into market and start making money off of it the way that we think it will make money in the marketplace. Do you think that there's a trust issue here? Because when you were just talking about that with the teams and the milestones and stuff, I'm thinking one of the reasons I want that is because I need to be able to feel, get a sense of whether or not these teams are actually delivering value, whether they're performing the way I want them to. But we're saying we're not going to worry about the teams. We're just going to trust that the teams are going to do good work. We have to find other ways of tracking performance, and that's going to be at, at the product level, right? Yeah, and it's market performance. So a lot of times we look to put milestones on a calendar in an arbitrary way to show yeah. that we're doing something we're getting there. We somehow. can't really measure. Yeah. We can't measure how effective that something is until it's in the market. So it's really hard to trust with, you know, next yeah. year I'm going to make X amount of money without some kind of time cycle. So if we can attribute our release cadence to the investments, and say, we're going to release this product twice. We are investing in those two releases. We know that the first release is going to get our brand out. And the second release is going to close the gap of our capabilities in the market on these three things. That may provide that trust and comfort back to the shareholders. Okay. And we're letting go of the fear that people are going to make bad decisions and be irresponsible with time. We're, letting go, um, we're letting go of that fear because we have built the system to manage that risk out of the process. Okay, cool. Um, so what if people want to learn more about this stuff? What's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, yeah, so I think the typical response to this, Steve, based on our experience, <laughs> is you're going to put my I just, email address. I just, just record it and, and cut it and just put it <laughs> the end of every single one of them. Yeah, you're going to put my email address and the link to my LinkedIn profile and maybe the leading agile page in yep. the in the show notes. Yep. And I don't do the social medias. Yeah. Um, yes, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we did another <laughs> podcast for another thing that I do, and I'll link to that as well in case people want to check it out. But um, thank you very much for doing this, man. This was great. Yeah, Dave. Thanks so much for the time. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate it. <laughs>